We're in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Before we move into chapter 4, let us review some. Paul wrote the Thessalonians that he prayed God would establish them or their heart in holiness, which is being blameless. Establish your heart. Anytime the New Testament mentions the heart of man, he's talking about his spirit soul, the personality, who he is, just the terms they use. But he says, so they got to be established or settled in holiness. Holiness in a practical way is the outworking of righteousness. Everybody talks about their righteousness in Christ. Well, that doesn't do any good, and your position in Christ doesn't do any good in heaven if it's not worked out. So if grace is not active and it's passive, it's vain. It doesn't work. So it has to be yielded to. There's where man's will comes in, and the will of man, whether he's a sinner or a saint, is under his control. The new man in Christ delights to do God's will, but the old man doesn't. And so the will of the Christian can make a choice. And that's why the New Testament and the epistles always appeals to the Christian to do something or not do something, because it's when his capability. So grace and faith is worthless if it's not yielded to. There is no irresistible grace. There is no faith alone and grace alone and all God. It's not taught in Scripture, okay? And so we need to see man is always responsible as a sinner or as a Christian to follow the Lord and respond to him. And he has the ability to do it. Even the prophets in the New Testament, it says the spirit of prophets is subject to prophet. It means when the spirit comes on them and gives them things to speak, they don't have to speak it. Oh, they may be punished by the Lord for a disobedient, but they don't have to do it. See, it's within them to yield or not yield. And the gift of speaking in tongues, it said they spake as the Spirit gave utterance. Well, the Spirit can give utterance and a person can refuse to speak. So God does not circumvent man's will ever. Therefore, he would not be responsible for his actions. But he is responsible and he will be brought into judgment for all of his actions because they ultimately proceed from the will who the will yields to, either yields to the works of the flesh and the world of the devil, or he yields to Christ. And he always has that ability, okay? So he wrote to tell them that he wants their heart to be established in holiness. Well, he's just preached the gospel to them months ago, and he didn't know how far they've gone. And so he wants to see the practical side and he did with the Thessalonians. He wasn't just giving them theology. He gave them things, and then he wants to show them or understand if it's working. He don't want just lip service or show religion. He wasn't into that. He wanted to be working, and he's going to tell them how it works and how it won't work, okay? So that you also will be ready. See, he wants, because he's going to speak on that subject. In every chapter in First Thessalonians, he's going to mention the rapture or the second coming part, the rapture, because they had questions about this, and he's going to answer these questions. So he's saying basically that you'll be ready. You'll be right at the Lord's coming. And why must you be right? And people think, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm ready. No, you're not. 
if you're not walking in the Lord, if you're bouncing back and forth, being double-minded and carnal on certain things, you're not going. John said, if we know he's righteous, we live righteously. And he said, we have to be pure. He said, so we will not be ashamed at his coming. So John tells us that. What does that mean? The word ashamed means you won't be disappointed. Now, why will you be disappointed? Because you're not going. He doesn't consider you his anymore because you're living in sin or you're walking in rebellion. You're like the five foolish virgins. You may serve the Lord and been walking in the Lord. And then you yield it to the flesh and the world. And that was becoming your lifestyle. So when he comes, there is no time at the rapture to get ready. You're either ready or you're not ready. And so there'll be a multitude of professing Christians and will miss it because they're not Christian. And there'll be a lot of Christians who miss it because they started walking like the world and going back into the world. Oh, they still had religion and they still believed who Jesus was, but they weren't being led by him. They weren't following him. And so that's why he's warning them that we have to do that. We're under probation. We are to live and be tested. We're to overcome and remain faithful under these things. And the Lord gives us what we need. But if we do not use it, it does not work. Very plain. There is no automatic grace. There is no irresistible grace. It's all what you do with it. And God puts the responsibility of bearing fruit on the Christian. The Lord does not bear fruit without the Christian. The Christian does not bear fruit without the Lord. So the Lord said, without me, you cannot do nothing. That's true. Any spiritual work has to have the spirit of Christ involved. But he also said, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So he's, we're seeing you have to walk in it. It's not a mental ascent thing like most people have, okay? Now go to Hebrews chapter 7, because he wants them to be without blame in holiness before the Lord, the Father and the Son. So in 726, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. So he's describing the priest that intercedes for us and helps us in times of need, gives us the grace to overcome temptation, or he makes a way to escape. But again, he has to be used. Hebrews says, come boldly with assurance to the throne of grace. Well, if you don't come, you don't get nothing. James says that you, you don't get things because you do not ask. And when you ask, it's selfish seeking. So neither way are you going to get anything from the Lord. So he puts the responsibility back on the person. So the Lord expects holy living by his disciples, his children. We're having the righteousness of Christ, and Christ is in us, okay? But unless it comes out as practical holiness, it's grace and faith in vain. Don't mean nothing. The multitude of Christians, Jesus said, I never knew you. Well, they thought they were. They believed Jesus died on the cross. But he said, I never knew you. You were never regenerated. You never submitted to the Lord. You never followed him, and you were led of his spirit. But they were saying, Lord, Lord. See, But they were wrong. 
they had mental ascent religion. That's what most Christians of the world have. But there are those who've been regenerated and born again who go back into the world. Actually, it's said in the last time as we're moving more into, there'll be a falling away from the church. He's talking about not the building, not the denomination. It's only one church and those that are in Christ Jesus, part of the body. And he says there's going to be a falling away from it. So it's going to get darker and people need to get help and grace from the Lord to live during these times, okay? So unless it's practical holiness, your profession in Christ and everything you believe doesn't mean anything, has no spiritual value whatsoever. So Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, okay? For indeed, for a few days, we are chastened by our parents, he's talking about, to to train us to be good, you know, morally good. But God does it for our spiritual profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So it's the discipline and the punishment and things that we do wrong and we don't judge ourselves and we don't deal with it properly, then the Lord takes it. And it says it's grievous, it's painful, but it's to cause us to see sin has consequences. And we're told not to despise it. People despise the chase of the Lord, they rebel, and eventually they turn away. We are supposed to submit to it and bear it. Even as the scripture said, uh, why should a man complain if he's punished for his sins? We shouldn't. He's getting what he deserves. And even God does that. He says, oh, you didn't judge yourself. You didn't stop. You didn't do this. Well, I'm going to give you a little pain to get your attention. And that's what he does. And it's intended to cause the person to turn to holiness away from his sinning. That's what it's made for. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful in the present time when it's going on. It's grievous. That means it hurts. Sorrowful, pain. Nevertheless, he's saying what? After it's finished, after it's done its work, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? And back further down, he says uh, what? He reminds us again. Pursue peace with all and holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Okay? And people forget 15. They don't like that one because they don't like losing faith and grace. They think a lot of the heretics think you can't do it. But he says, look diligently. He's talking to us. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That means it won't work. You're not using it. Same as faith. Grace and faith is worthless if it's not yielding fruit and spiritual results. It's mental ascent, and that'll get you nowhere. The devils believe that Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. They know he's God, but it don't save them. Uh-huh. And they know he's going to cast them into the lake of fire as God Almighty at the end. Uh-huh. But they mentally know who he is. They don't have no problem realizing that. They just don't submit to him. So you, I, that's who it's talking to, pursue holiness. Go after it. And so you're told to do something. And he says what? And if you don't have it, he said, you'll not see God. It means you're a sinner 
And ultimately, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. It means you're not his. You're a rebel, a bastard. Bastard means it's not legitimate anymore. So a lot of people claim to be the children of God and, and they're spiritual bastard. They prove by their lifestyle that they're not. Oh, they may have once had it, but they don't anymore, okay? So he reminds them, you can fall short of grace. And what does that mean? It means the branch is not remaining in Christ, not being led of him and bearing fruit, and therefore the Father cuts it off. You're cut off from Christ. You're cut off from the spirit of grace. And the ultimate end, he said, be gathered and be burned. They will be judged with the wicked, and they'll be judged more severely because they knew better, okay? Even the Lord in his parable said, the person that knew his master's will and didn't do it, he will be beaten with many stripes, see, because he's held accountable. And it says the person that didn't know his master's will, nevertheless, he's going to be beaten with fewer, but he is going to be beaten because it's his responsibility to find out what the Lord wants for him. And he's avoiding God. Like Jesus said, the people as a whole love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the light, the truth, lest they be exposed and reproved. But they have the choice to come or not to come. And he said, as a whole, they won't do it. But it's their responsibility. So they're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know you will. And he says, well, you avoided the truth. You didn't want it. So you're still going to be beaten. Much is given, much is required. And the one that was deeper with the Lord, if he backslides, he will receive a greater punishment, day of judgment, okay? So people need to understand that. So there is no grace alone. We yield to the grace and the spirit, and it becomes active grace. Passive grace is just mental belief. Believe in doctrine and teaching, that's fine. But if it's not put into action, many people say they believe the Lord, but they lead their own lives. They're not led of the Spirit. They want God to rubber stamp what they do. They're full of covetousness, much of the prosperity doctrines, nothing but greed, covetousness, which Paul said is idolatry. And he says, and you know, no idolatra will make it into heaven. So he makes it very plain. And then we've got a large group, a once saved, always saved. Well, they're going to be lost as a whole because they're willingly ignorant and they don't want to see the truth. So they skip over many scriptures and elevate a scripture out of context to make it say what they want. That's what a heretic and a false Christian does, okay? But he's going to answer for it at the day of judgment, okay? So he said, search well that none of you will fall short of the grace of God. So that means people can fall short. And I don't understand by common sense how a once saved, always saved person can bypass these scriptures. Oh, I've heard, oh, I know what they say when I debate it with them in the past. Oh, but you won't do that. See, they're saying, oh, that's foolishness because you're not going to do it. I said, oh, so it's irresistible grace. They said, yeah. Oh, well, let me tell you something. When you're born again, if you have irresistible grace and you have to yield to it, why do you ever fail a sin? You should never fail. And then the same ones that say, you have to sin every day and word, thought, or deed. Well, Peter said that if you promise liberty, that's the grace and faith gospel. You promise liberty to people, and yet you're a slave to sin. 
Well, what good is it? You're damned. See, all that talk don't mean nothing. All of that greasy grace and once saved always, it don't mean nothing. It's a work of the devil. But God lets intellectual people be deceived by demons. See, it's a spiritual matter. He catches them in their own corruption and he allows them to be deceived. And at times he sends evil spirits as a punishment. Okay, so that's how they believe. And you think these people are so brilliant. How can they believe something so stupid? Because it's spiritual and they've been blinded. The God of this world blinds them because they reject the truth and they won't obey the Lord. Okay, and so as we go on, the fruit of the Spirit, as we know, well, let's go to it. Philippians 1 1. We always say the fruit of the Spirit, and we name the nine fruits and so forth. But there's other terminologies. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of the Father. Okay? The verse before, again, what we were talking about, that you be sincere without offense. That means blameless till the day of the Lord. So you have to be following the Lord and have practical holiness and working righteousness. John called, he said, if you work righteousness, you're of the Lord. And if you don't, he says, you're of the devil. He didn't talk about any mental ascent. One day we'll have to go back. There are nine different points that John makes in his epistle that tell you whether you're a Christian. And he doesn't use the word grace. And I think he only uses faith in a, a common statement, but not in a practical way. But he tells you, well, one of them says, if you hate your brother, you're not a Christian. If he's your real brother in the Lord and you won't make things right with him and you have spite and unforgiveness, then you're not a Christian anymore. And he says, if you don't keep the Lord's commandments, you're not a Christian. If you say you love the Lord and you walk in darkness, he says, you're a liar. But he goes on to name nine different things to show if you're in the real faith or grace. And if you don't have those or you miss those, then you're not a Christian. I don't care how many times you say you've been born again or the Lord appeared to you once a week. Don't mean nothing. Okay? He's talking about the practicality of it for today. Okay? Through the Lord. So these are holy lifestyles, holy words, and right actions. See, that's what John meant living and working righteousness, it means you yield to the new man and the Holy Spirit. And you still have the capability to do it or not to do it, okay? When God strengthens a Christian to give them the ability to do or overcome something, he strengthens the new man. Uh-huh. But the new man answers to your will. And as much as he may want to do it, he cannot override your will. And you can say no. You see, that's why you're responsible for all your actions. You have to will to yield to the new man, or you have to will to yield to the old, the pleasures of sin and the world's drawing. And you'll always have that. Some people live many, many years serving the Lord, and they turn away. And they're led to the world and pleasures. And some of them die within a short time. Some of them are cut off in their sin. Some of them, God just lets the laws of nature go on their course and they die. They're not under his protection anymore. They've turned away from him. 
their God is the God of this world. And they will come under greater judgment because they once knew him. So now we move into verse 1, because the verse before in 3.13 is talking about holiness. Now he's going to get into this, okay? Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instructions, okay, what he's saying is exhortation is a form of teaching, okay? It's to encourage, warn, admonish people. It's regular preaching and teaching. And then he calls it instruction. Instruction is teaching in one form or another. These are teachings, what they're built on, okay? And telling you how you ought to please God, walk and please God. And actually, as you can walk, or we've seen the results in you, that you've excelled in this. So he's complimenting them that you have to walk in the Lord and you have to please him. Well, you can't please him if you're in rebellion or not obeying him. That doesn't please the Lord. And walking means a continuous state of following him, being yoked to him. But you can stop it if you want to. So he's warning you what you have to do. Uh-huh. And now, he, what happened was when these Thessalonians received the gospel, they were Gentiles, and they caught up in the Gentile world, and the Romans and Greeks were very immoral people, and they didn't basically have a conscience about it. They didn't see nothing wrong with it. All of their temples and worship had prostitution, male, female. They mixed sex with all of their religions. That's why they were so popular. And when you grew up in this, they seared their conscience when they were young, you know, they, they didn't see nothing too wrong, and then the Holy Spirit convicted them. And so now, as they've turned to the Lord, he said, we're going to instruct you can't live that way. Now, see, as they really came to the Lord, even as a baby Christian, without nobody telling them anything, their spirit would have disturbed them if they proceeded to do these things, because it's the law of Christ in us. But he's going to make it easier. He's going to give them a laid down instruction. You can't do this. You can't be morally corrupt. And he's explaining these things. You can't go back to those things. And if you continue in those things, your turning to the Lord is in vain. It ain't going to help you a bit. So that's why he's talking to them. Okay? So he talks about blameless and holiness. We're going to stay there a little bit. Holiness and sanctification is now what we're going to look at. They're interchangeable in most cases, okay? So we will say sanctification. It's a fact. It's a part, a facet of salvation. A lot of false teachers, well, they're misguided because it's not heresy. It's just not true. They think you've got to be saved and then you've got to be sanctified. There is no separation. Sanctification starts before salvation. And it continues, and you may have sanctifying experiences, but it is no second work of grace. Because the same people that say, uh, if you're not sanctified, you'll not see God, then you're not saved. But they'll sit there and argue. Well, you're saved, but you're, I'm not saved, or you're not. You're, you're stupid. I tell them. I said, you're a fool. And they said, well, if you're not sanctified, you can't make Then you're not saved. So they can't be separate experiences. Then they get a little confused. You know, when people have false doctrine and they've been grained in it, they don't know how to handle it. So they run back to their false teacher or misguided teacher and try to come up. They don't know what it means themselves. That's what happens with most people that are under various teachers. 
So to make it a second experience, it can't be done. Uh huh. The same people say, without holiness or sanctification, you'll not see the Lord. Well, my Bible says when you're saved, you're saved. You're regenerated. You're born again. So I have to say they're wrong. Thus, if a separate experience, and it's not, it's salvation. And we'll see salvation. Actually, sanctification comes before it because God starts to do the work. When a person comes under conviction and they repent and confess, God's helping them do this. But until they confess and repent and believe, they're not a Christian. But he's calling them and dealing with them. That's the part of sanctification. Under the Old Testament, the priests were set apart from the common people. That was sanctification. And then they were consecrated to serve the Lord. Uh And so we're seeing somewhat of that in the spiritual things. So God is calling them out of the world. He's doing a work in them. And they believe and confess the Lord and follow him. So they're consecrated to the Lord. See, they've carried through with the process. So salvation, redemption, we have many words, adoption, regeneration, justification, made righteous, and sanctifications are all part of the person becoming a Christian. They just explain them. Like the normal diamond has 58 facets. Well, if you take one facet away, it can't be a diamond. It's impossible. So he's just explaining certain parts that work this way and work that way, but they're all part of the same process. And so adopt, it means you be adopted as a, a sinner, a wicked person. God's brought you into his family. You were not his. You were of the world, the child of the devil, and then you're his. Regeneration, he does something to your spirit. You're born again, okay? So we see these several words. Justification. Many people say, just as if I'd never sinned. The blood removes the past sins. But you have to walk in him. You have to walk in sanctification. You have to walk in the Spirit. All your past sins can be forgiven. But your present and your future, that's up to you. Whether you want to continue with him or not. That's under your responsibility. Okay? So these are all facets of the same thing of being saved or born again. Like the fruit of the Spirit is often it's used in the singular as to Christ the vine. It's the whole person of the spiritual man. So the divine nature or the work of God in Christ is working in us. That's what he's talking about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ yoked to you. It means there's two of you doing a work. It ain't all the master. You have to do your part. He'd like you to do a marriage. Then there has to be a corporation between them. God talked about spiritual, a real Christian. If the wife and the husband don't get along, it says their prayers are hindered. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So we're seeing this. It's describing Christ working in us and changing us. But again, our consent is necessary. So actually sanctification is mentioned the same or sometime before being saved or justified. Now let's look at Hebrews again. We seem to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. 
For how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy of those who trample the Son of God underfoot? That means after they've known him. They've counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. He's using this as the word salvation. Regenerate it. He ain't calling it separate. He called it a common thing and has insulted the spirit of grace. He's talking about a person at once walked in the Lord and then turns away and tramples. That's a dangerous position. But he didn't say by which they were once saved. He said by which they were once sanctified because it's the same word used in different contexts. He was set apart unto God and became the Lord's. That's what the word here he's talking about. But it's the part of salvation. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he's talking about the yoking, that the salvation, as we're seeing, we were baptized, sanctified, being set apart, justified. We were instantly made righteous, and all the past sins removed through the blood of Christ. We were made righteous. And that's what he's talking about, is this working. And again, he's using various words. And again, in Corinthians, another verse, he said, Christ is made unto us redemption and sanctification. He's made that to us. So it's the yoking and the unity with the person of Christ that makes us saved. See, people think it's a separate gift. They're saved, and now they can live their own life, and they'll just lose a few rewards. No, they're going to hell. They're going to the lake of fire. We're saved only as we stay with Christ, as long as we're yoked with him, as long as the branch remains in the vine and bears fruit, listens to him, and is moved by and helped by him. And when it ceases to do it, it ceases to have salvation. See, salvation is tied up in Jesus, not in some gift from him. If you have Jesus, you have salvation. If you don't, you don't. And many people live wicked lives and they still believe they're Christians because once saved, always saved. Oh, it's just my body and soul sinning. My spirit can't sin. Well, that was the doctrine partially of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus said, I hate their teaching and I'll destroy her children, the followers. They were saying you could live like you want and commit fornication. It didn't matter because your spirit was pure. Nothing but an exaggerated form of Calvinism. And it's a lie. And Jesus said, I hate it and I'll destroy. He's talking about spiritual death. Her followers, that's what he's talking about. Okay? So people need to understand that. What the Lord doesn't like, uh, he'll deal with. Okay? And now before we go on further, I just thought we should stay here on the sanctification and the holiness a while. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He's quoting the Old Testament, verse 17 and 18. Again, he's quoting an Old Testament version of a Jeremiah, Isaiah, some scripture. He said what? I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, spiritually indwelling them. He's talking about new covenant by prophecy. And then he says something. What does Jehovah God say? And Christ is the Jehovah God. 
come out from among them. That's separation. That's a part of sanctification. And be separate, says the Lord. When you come out of the godless world, you're coming into a holier state. God's calling you. And he called Israel originally to come out from among the nations. And he said, you'll be a holy people. And when they weren't, he dealt with them and punished them. He said, you'll be different. What was the difference? They had to be holy. He expected that. And do not touch what is unclean. Do not yield to the filth of the world and the corruption of the world. Notice he puts a responsibility on them. And if you could do that, what's the coming out? It's repentance and separation. You turn your back on the world because you're turning toward the Lord. And that's why Jesus preached repentance and confession of sin. The first word out of his mouth recorded was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he said, repent and believe. There was never no believing and confession with a confession without repentance involved. Because it means you didn't turn away from that. You're still doing it. So most of these people claim to be saved. They're still in their sins. They're still fornicating and committed. But they think uh, their spirit's okay. Well, they're going to find out one day when they are gnashing their teeth in hell that it ain't okay. Okay? And then when he says that, come out, be separate, do not touch. He's commanding the person to do something. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this. He said, you do it. Okay? And then he says in verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's the only term that you're going to be a member of God's family. So if you don't come out of the world and repent and stop the sinning and do what you know to do, he doesn't receive you. But then when he receives you, he empowers you to overcome the world. He gives you extra grace but again, it has to be used. If it was irresistible, when a person became a Christian, they'd never sin again. We'd say, well, how come the, he can save you? And then you have these fools say, well, if you're a real Christian, before you die years later, the Lord will bring you back. And I said, well, how come the Lord couldn't keep you? He's so weak, isn't he? How come he couldn't keep you? He had to let you fall away. That sounds rather stupid and insulting of God. Uh-huh. No, that ain't going to happen. That's a lying shepherd telling people, excusing their sin. They don't want to tell them they're going to hell is what's going to happen to them. Yeah, people try to get right sometime. But Proverbs speaks that many people can't and don't, and some are hardened by the Lord. He don't mess with them. Any. God said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will harden. And if God sees people playing on his grace, or uh, they want to get right because they're just fearful of judgment, he has no intentions of messing with them, especially when they've had a lifetime to understand these things, and they didn't want to do it. So many people are remorseful when they're caught and stand before a judge. But Paul said, the worldly remorse leads to death. See, there was no repentance. Godliness leads to repentance. See, the repenting person wants to change and wants to do better. The remorseful person doesn't want to be punished, but if he got away with it, he'd do it again. See, he's just afraid of punishment. And that don't mean nothing, okay? And it doesn't mean nothing with God. And one more verse, 7-1. Therefore, he's telling you, if you come out and separate, then I'll be your father. If you don't come out and separate, I won't be your father. You won't be in my family. 
Therefore, for this reason, having the promises of God, he calls it a promise, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he's saying then, if you're involved in these things and you don't understand these things, start confessing your sin and, and stop doing these things. And you get the power of the Lord to do it. So we cleanse ourselves. James says, when they cleanse their hearts and purify their souls, you, you do it. And then the Lord helps. But he doesn't give grace to practicing sinners. He doesn't give grace at the same time. Uh-uh. There's condition. And he's never perfecting holiness that you will move into the righteousness and holy and the light that you have that you'll serve the Lord and your conscience will be clear. That's what he wants for all Christians to stay that way, okay? So if we come out, then he accepts us. And see, that's a part of being sanctified on our part. We sanctify ourselves and he sanctifies us. No one can repent without the Lord's help, but God doesn't repent for anybody. No one can confess Jesus and believe in their heart on their own. He helps them but they got to do it too. So you'll see God doesn't do the uh, repentance and the believing. He will grace a person and strengthen their will if they have a determination to obey him. And then sin can't rule them. So that's what he's talking about, the joining of the... So the holiness of God is a work of sanctification. It continues too. It's walking in the spirit. Always a human and a divine side to any spiritual work and man. I stress this all the time. No one's going to be spiritual and say it's Christ alone and try to give. I said, then you're false because he puts it on you also. Again, Jesus said, you can't do nothing without me. Well, that's his grace. But then he says, you can do all things through God who strength. He doesn't say, I can do all things in you. He says, you can do all things. He doesn't separate. The child of God still has his separate being and personality, as the angels do. And he has choices, okay? So he sanctifies, that means he washes and purifies and makes them ready for him. Let's take a break here.